This is an ABC podcast. I'm Jonathan Green, and on Blueprint for Living, this is Lost and Found, and we are continuing our search for Australia's modernist gems. Uh, this week, we find ourselves in Hobart. Now, so far, we've been to, to Sydney, Adelaide, Perth, Darwin, Brisbane. You can catch up on all those programs. Check out the uh, Blueprint page on the RN website or the ABC Listen app. They are there. In a few moments, uh, Joel Reinberger will join architect Lee Woolley, having a look at Hobart's Dorney House. But first, to Hannah Louie and Philip Goad, our constant companions and author of Australia Modern Architecture, Landscape and Design, 1925 to 1975. A place that I suppose most of us would associate with very early buildings, with that, that sense of, of, of penal history. Yes, um, but but there are still some gems in Hobart, um, and some that have been lost uh, in terms of some of the the larger buildings in the in the middle of the city that have been quite controversial in, in the last decade. But um, again, they've got great examples of early schools like Newtown Commercial High School, nineteen thirty six, another one of those schools that looks to a sort of Dutch tradition. Yes, and one of the undiscovered stars, I think, of nineteen thirties. Tasmanian architecture is SWT Blythe. So he's the chief architect or the chief design architect of the Public Works Department and he does a whole series of these Dutch slash British inspired uh, modern schools mm. and Newtown Commercial High School's an excellent example. The, the other aspect to Tasmanian architecture I think is it's a place where concrete block was used very beautifully and again, that's not really well known. And so you have an architect like Dirk Bolt, who uh, works uh, for the University of Tasmania, and his building for Christ College is one of the icons of Australian brutalism. But I think one of the most emblematic modernist buildings of Tasmania is uh, Esmond Dorney's own house uh, at Fort Nelson. Um, Here's a 1930s architect who'd actually been presumed missing during World War II. He'd been a Melbourne architect. Presumed missing, uh, comes back to Melbourne, it's, uh, uh, decides to leave for personal reasons, ends up in Hobart and builds on the top of a former gun emplacement a new almost space age house. And it's like a re-beginning at the, one might say the end of the earth, but we're in Tasmania. Um, uh, and it's lightweight steel structure, massive amounts of glass, and the gun emplacement becomes the location of almost like a Barbarella conversation pit. What, a, what, a, what an exquisite thing to explore. <laughs> yes. And the, the, the roof, uh, the house burnt down and it was rebuilt in the 60s. Mm. It has the most wonderful flaring, almost flower-like steel roof. It uh, folds around in a series of graceful curves. Okay. That's an incredible view out the window, isn't it? It gets even better. And this, of course, is an example of a building that... um isn't in response to a subdivision, it's in response to its landscape. It's actually built over a former gun in 
emplacement as part of a defensive installation from the um, end of the 19th century. It's just an incredible view. Look at that, the city, the river, the bridge, the mountain. It's a bit of a scary drive though. It is. You're doing a three-point turn here, and I'm getting really I'm doing nervous. Three-point turn, very close. <laughs> I feel like Wiley Coyote <laughs> to drop off a cliff and go plaf at the bottom. Good. About three meters. Okay. That's fine like that. All right. No worries. Great. So you can see why I was suggesting we didn't come in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> Lee Woolley is a well-respected Hobart architect. He's here to show us around Dorney House, which unusually is owned by Hobart Council. Before we go inside, Lee, we know modern architecture is all about form following function, but Esmond Dorney really took this a step further by responding to this landscape. Why was landscape so important to him? Because I think it's important to anyone who lives in Tasmania, but particularly in Hobart. And Dorney was a very wiry, athletic man, and you would need to be that living on this hill. And we're not just living on the side of a hill, we're living on the top of a hill, a very fire-prone fire uh, landscape, but one which was established initially as a defensive fortification um, in the early part of the 20th century. And in fact, the building is a response to the landscape, but within the landscape there are defensive fortifications and the building responds to that as well. And this of course is, is part of modernism. It's not a prescription. Um, it's a very, in this instance, a very intuitive response in a very contemporary way dealing with materials of the time in a very expressive way. And that's, um, that's given rise to a building which is circular in plan, but which sits very comfortably, but takes in and understands the panorama of Greater Hobart. It looks like there is no window in this house from which there is not a spectacular view. That's true. And of course, the difficulty with, with great views is how you actually retreat from those and how you have spaces where you, in fact, can sleep. <laughs> uh, and where are the bedrooms? Where are the kitchens? It's, it's, a, it's not a large plan, the building that we're in, but it's very carefully modelled to ensure that, for example, when we go and have a look at the kitchen, that that's on the western side, which then inhibits that hot western sun in summer from getting into the main living space and of course the bedrooms which you hardly notice uh, are doing the the same to the southwest. Being a Hobart local my immediate thought looking at this massive expanse of glass is how the heck do you heat this place? Um, this is we're, we're talking the technologies in this instance of the 60s and 70s, um, and indeed the uh, glazing standards of that time as well. So obviously um, there was a fireplace in, in the centre um, and no doubt a good covering of um, warm clothes when needed. Bill Harvey is a councillor with the Hobart City Council who actually owns Dorney House. Why did the council buy this place? 
Oh, look, a number of years ago, 2006, Council had the opportunity to purchase the land and the property. It's 50 hectares of land as well as the, the Dorney House. And um, we took the opportunity to do that and protected forever um, for the people of Hobart. The land is fantastic. We've managed it really well since we've had it. We've got all the weeds out of it. So you've preserved it, but what do you do with it day to day? Well, it gets used semi-regularly. I'd like to think it could get used a lot more, but because of the challenges of the site, it's hard to allow anything to happen here. So I've been up here for a number of events, um, which have been fantastic. I saw a play here not that long ago. The ambience of the place, just the way it works, the feel is fantastic. Um, Making it work harder, using it more often is a challenge and it's something we need to, to tackle and to make sure it is um, well used. Safe transport up here for one thing, that's a hair raising drive up that driveway, isn't it? Well, that does provide, you know, certain limits. Um, alcohol in the driveway don't mix, so we don't want, you know, certain activities that involve adding to the risk of the, the environment up here. But yes, the roads are challenged, but you also don't want to... Um, ruin the road by upgrading it to a dual lane or anything it's the it's part of the feel of the place having a windy you know narrow road to get up here and i think that's important about the whole project here the land the house the access it all comes together to create quite a unique experience who's got the keys the, the door's just behind you there so we shall wander through there we go all right, let's go inside and see what Dorney saw when he imagined and then built this house. I'll tell you what, Lee, I was thinking about how cold it would be in here, but with the sunshine streaming in these enormous windows, it's beautiful inside. It is. It is. And of course, the eaves are not enormous. They're just at the extent that they need to be to ensure that the um, sun is moderated according to being 42 and a half degrees south. The sunken living room here is uh, quite a feature. You don't see these very often, do you? No. In fact, um, but you can imagine the gun emplacement that is more than likely given rise to the sunken form there. This is very intuitive. This is very expressive. This is... Um, fabulously simple yet a complex appreciation of structure uh, and form has given rise to the ambience that we feel. The arcs or the petals that come back to the centre then just lead you back into the extended landscape of southern Tasmania. The glazing is frameless, it's just fixed directly to the structure. Um, the extraordinary panorama of the Lower Derwent is um, appreciated in, um, in all its extraordinary scale because this is a pivot point within the landscape of southern Tasmania, but particularly the dwelling region of Hobart. And of course, we're at the end of an arc that from, the, from central Hobart across to the Druthy Hills in the far distance, this is the, the midpoint that you appreciate viewing southwest from central Hobart as the eye is taken to the landform horizon of Kunanyi, Mount Wellington, then along the Mount Nelson Ridge, then as the Mount Nelson Ridge falls 
to the southwest to the water plain of the harbour, there's this in-between point and that's Porter Hill and that's where this building is located. So it's located at a very strategic point which defensively was appreciated but an extraordinarily important point in terms of understanding this extended region. Now, if you Google this house, you mainly see a few exterior shots. Can we go and see what the rest of the inside is like, the, the kitchen and the bedrooms? Indeed. Let's have a look. So as we can see, the kitchen is modest by today's standards, but we're talking in this instance, this was rebuilt twice. It also makes nice use of what this round radiating design gives you, which is corners. There's lots of little corners. Indeed, indeed, and nooks and and glimpses. Um, there's the big panorama, but here, as we move back closer into the kitchen, there's a narrow window that in this instance just focuses your eye down into the gully rather than to the expanse of the landscape and the estuary beyond. And in the foreground of the gully is a, a, a she-oak, a mature she-oak. And so in a sense, this smaller window is framing that much closer landscape. It's quite delightful. What about the bedrooms? Let's have a look at that. So we're standing in an area which is still got that huge panorama and was once a bedroom but has been kind of opened up. Indeed. As I mentioned, the, the plan of the house is not large. It's actually very compact, yet the uh, experience of the space is enormous. And that's what this bedroom gave, giving a view southeast across Storm Bay to the southern horizon. The southern sky would have been appreciated from this bedroom. Um, this would have been a delightful space to wake up in. So we kind of creep around in a little uh, utility area yeah, and around another nook and uh, Here's another actual bedroom with, again, with that almost triangular shape to it. I indeed, but extremely small in, by today's standards, yet a wonderful space to be in. I mean, we're looking at the, uh, it's not even twice the door width, it's less than two metres at one end, and it's uh, possibly almost three metres at the other, and it's only three metres deep. And yet, in this instance, there's glazing on two sides, and uh, it's um, an extraordinary scale to the room. It's small. The house itself is relatively small, but you feel like you're in this enormous place. That's always the, well, it's always the challenge of architecture to provide the opportunity to appreciate the setting in which you live. We are currently at about 200 metres elevation uh, above the, uh, the harbour, but we're only about a kilometre from the water. The rise is quite uh, steep by um, most um, residential standards. It does look like you could throw a stone and hit the river from here, doesn't it? <laughs> it looks like it, you wouldn't. And I've walked it as a kid quite often. <laughs> Well, you actually grew up at the bottom of this hill. Do you remember Esmond Dorney building the house when he was living here? I, I remembered the, uh, the house on the hill and the architect on the hill. In fact, it was my first appreciation of connecting buildings with architects, I think, was viewing up to this house. And of course, 
Esmond Dorney drove very noticeable motor vehicles, including, I remember, a uh, Falcon GT HO, if I'm not wrong. Uh, and, and from memory, it was red. He's well known in architecture circles, but he's maybe not well known in the wider Australian community. Why do you think that is? I don't think he sought that. It was a different time. The work was particular. Um, I think it was extremely well considered and I think he was he was regarded, I think, highly, but he didn't seek promotion. And of course, unlike today where technology allows you to self-promote, uh, the work had to stand on its own, which of course it does. Let's maybe uh, go back into a, big, a, a bigger room out of this little tiny box. This is a weird, slightly awkward set of corners where the bathroom is, isn't it? It is, but you know, this is... But it's sensible. Two showers. Yeah. So obviously, he was a clean man. These are, those showers are also the typical size of a shower of the time and in pre-fabricated elements. So it's unlike today where you may have a shower room, that excess is not part of this house. And we also forget that people were smaller. If you go back 50 years, people were smaller than they are now. Well, you can speak for yourself, Joel, but I'm... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, quite possibly, yes, yes, indeed. But I mean, this is, this is not a lavish building. This is a well-considered building uh, for a family, but within an extraordinary landscape. Right, we'll pop back into the main room. And we have to actually have a seat, I think, in the conversation pit, which is just such a delight Indeed. that the seating is actually built into the house. Indeed. But then, of course, you know, this is built over the, the gun emplacement and an extraordinary a fireplace, which is not large, but it's not uh, a deep fireplace or not a high fireplace. And this sense of containment that comes from sitting at the edge with your back to the view and the focus to the fire. It's a very ancient thing to be doing, isn't it? Gathering in a circle Absolutely. around a fire. Absolutely. And uh, I'm led to believe that there were some uh, very interesting conversations had by different architects that were drawn to this location and to this particular edge. You're listening to Lost and Found here on Blueprint for Living. Today we are in Hobart, part of our Australia Modern series. Architect Lee Woolley is giving Joel Reinberger a tour of Dorney House. Lee, sitting here in this conversation pit, we look up in this central hub of the house and it's like looking up at a giant white sunflower. Mm -hmm. It radiates out from here. How is this different from the very first design? My understanding is that there was a, um, a, a pop-up within the centre of these petals that radiate out, and, uh, and that was a little further lookout up, up there. And, um, and if, if this view was not enough for you, you it, could have even more view. Uh, well, you know, there we go. I, I, can, I can understand that. And... Um, Apparently, the earlier office was in the tram at the front of the building. And I remember as a child 
there was a fire on the hill and it was just, a, it wasn't a bushfire, it was a specific fire, but it was a fire within the tram of his office and uh, it would seem that it had been lit by kids from somewhere, um, but as a result of that, the police were looking for culprits and um, um, I'm not sure if they were ever found, but I was asked and of course, uh, sadly, the tragedy later is that you realise that uh, a lot of the early drawings were lost at that time. Can you tell us a little about how Dorney became interested in modern architecture and, and particularly the impact of World War II? What did that have on him? Okay. Esmond Dorney um, studied as an architect uh, in Melbourne and practised uh, before being a pilot in the Second World War. And he became a, a prisoner of war and escaped, as I understand, but was recaptured and assumed lost. And um, it was some years later that he returned after the war and uh, his wife had remarried, as I understand, his first wife. That gave rise, as, as I understand, to him then several years later moving to Tasmania and starting a new life. And in that sense, the capacity to re-energise your life and get on and actually start to develop an architecture that was not what he'd been doing previously is very interesting. And as I say, I think his work is a, is a delightful expression of living in this landscape because it does take in and appreciate the subtlety and, and the scale of, um, of this extended dwelling region. Philip Goad mentioned that this house was rebuilt after a fire, but it's actually been rebuilt more than once. Yes, indeed. Uh, there were three iterations of building, as I understand. The first in circa 1950 is not on this side. This one from 1966 and then lost and built again in 1975. So there's been um, several fires. Built again by Dorney? Yes, as I, as I understand. And the same house rebuilt exactly? Um, I think there was subtle differences. In essence, the same. Now, Hobart Council have brought us here and allowed us to go inside. It's pretty unusual for a council to own a landmark residential building. What's the story there? Well, my understanding is the family, uh, the beneficiaries, wanted a more public potential for the site. And rather than subdividing it, offered it with that in mind um, to the City Council. But see, these really important locations in the landscape of Hobart, there is nothing better than these really important locations being not only publicly accessible, but shared in the collective sense, because we share the landscape. And this is very strong building within, within the landscape. It doesn't, it, it doesn't impose itself at all, quite the opposite. But it is um, a statement of um, what we share in this region. We've walked about 50 yards from the back of the house here to this big round concrete structure. What's this? This is an original gun emplacement and the site of the original 1949 house. So he actually literally built the first house on top of a gun emplacement That's and right. that created the entire round feel of it. 
That's a, a very logical assumption. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the, the sequence um, is logical in each subsequent house. He's maintained this feeling in, uh, without having the structure underneath. Why wouldn't he just build another one? The structure's still here. It still seems pretty solid. I'm not sure. However, we are removed from the edge of the bigger view. Uh, that may have had something to do with it. It may well have been if you've put a lot of effort into something and it's burnt down and there's an opportunity to build next to it rather than over that again, that was the reason, perhaps. Lee Woolley, thank you so much for talking with us. Pleasure. And that's it for this episode of Lost and Found, a Blueprint for Living production, Australia modern, and it's taken us this week to Hobart. Next week, we're off to Canberra. You heard from Hannah Louie and Philip Goad, authors of Australia Modern, Architecture, Landscape and Design, 1925 to 1975. You also heard Joel Reinberger in conversation with architect Lee Woolley. Producers are Lisa DeVissi, Rosa Ellen and Verica Jokic. Technical production, Selwyn Cousins. I'm Jonathan Green. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.